a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, registered dietitian nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We're excited to have you joining us for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Dee, how are you today? I am doing great, Sherry. How are you? I'm a little froggy, (laughs) so I'm struggling with a little bit of a head cold. So for you regular listeners, you will recognize that my voice is never this raspy. (laughs) I think it's kind of sexy, though. What do you think? I love a raspy voice. (laughs) You said a little froggy, and I saw like a little frog jumping in my head. Yeah, ADD is strong with me. You know what? It's the emoji culture we live in. Is that it? Oh my gosh. It's like, I did something on Instagram this morning that was like, describe yourself in emojis. So you have to check it out because it's really funny. Oh, that sounds like fun actually. It was fun. It was fun. Well, I am thrilled about the topic that we're going to be talking about today. It is just something that's been on my heart for a number of years and I could not be more excited to welcome one of my most beloved friends. Jackie Jackson. I'll introduce Jackie in a minute, but before I do, I wanted to introduce the topic. And I want to introduce it with a scripture, because to me, this is the heart of this issue. So James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So, I mean, I think that there are a lot of people who look at the Bible and, you know, maybe they're they're not believers or they're new believers or they just are people who are who are curious and they can't figure out what God's will is. They think that, you know, it's all this. It's very mysterious, you know, mm-hmm. what God has planned for us. And to a certain extent, certainly there are good works that are planned for us that are individual. But I think there are some things that are real specific in the Bible. And there's no and question. universal. Yes, and universal. So whether you believe in the Bible or not, it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so recently I was studying this verse, and in my study Bible it said that orphans and widows represented, in biblical times, the most vulnerable popul- people in a population. And so I think, you know, certainly this principle can apply to any vulnerable population, but even thousands of years later, I've, I have a hard time imagining any group in our society that is more vulnerable than children, especially children who don't have their parents to care for them or a loved one who can take care of them. And in the U.S., you know, we don't necessarily see children like walking around in the streets barefooted orphaned, or we don't see large orphanages housing hundreds of abandoned children. So it's easy to think that maybe the problem isn't ours. Maybe it's, you know, it's another country. It's somebody else's problem. But really, the call is the same for us, especially if we're believers. And even if we're not, but we love people, we have an opportunity to play a role in helping change the lives of orphans in the United States. So um, that's why I'm so excited to have Jackie with us. And just a little bit of sort of statistics around this issue here in the United States. And I just pulled the the statistics on fostering because I think that's an area where people just forget, you know, and, and I'm excited that I've seen um, maybe more emphasis on that in the last 10 years than I had before that. But I still feel like it's an issue that people just don't talk about. And um, according to the government, a government report I found on the Department of Human Health and Human Services, um, there are more than 440,000 children in foster care as of September 2017. So that's sort of the latest 
numbers that I could find. And more that's than, nationwide. That's nationwide. Okay. Four hundred and forty something thousand kids, and more than six hundred and twenty thousand kids had been through the system over the course of a year. But forty four hundred and forty thousand kids around the country that are essentially orphans, really. I mean, and it may be temporary. It may be that they're only in the system for a short period of time. But even if they are, I mean, for a child to be separated from a parent or to be without parents is just devastating to them in so many different ways. And here in in Georgia, there were 14,000 children in foster care last year. So 14,000 kids is just, to me, such an overwhelming number. It's a huge number of children. And uh, 2,740 of these kids have a permanency goal of adoption. So so the goal for these kids, almost 3,000 kids, is to get them adopted. And over 350 kids are available now who are waiting waiting for forever homes, waiting to have somebody tell them this is your home and you're going to stay here. So when a child has gotten to the point where they are adoptable, that means parental rights have been severed and they they are ready. Yes. Yes. And I think Jackie can tell us a whole lot more about that. So without further ado, our guest today is Jackie Jackson. Jackie and I have been friends for more than a decade and I've watched her life change in surprising and exciting ways. I love her story and I think you will too. So welcome to the show, Jackie. Thank you very much. And hey, y'all, I figure I can say that on Southern Fried Girlfriends. (laughs) For sure. We're y'all culture here. (laughs) So Jackie's a a former foster kid and I didn't know that about you. So you didn't know. Oh, I don't oh, know how I didn't know that. surprises. You are. And she's an international adoptee from South America and a grateful mommy to a tribe of heart babies and belly babies alike. I love that. Yeah. That is oh, that a is beautiful, so beautiful way to say that. Uh, her passion for adoption and fostering stems from the legacy that God has given her to steward for his glory. And she's relentless about encouraging and equipping others to walk their own orphan care journeys. So I'm going to let Jackie tell us a little bit more about herself. So take it away. All righty. Well, I was sitting here listening to the intro and y'all two banter back and forth. And I just wanted to jump in so bad because <laughs> I was like, yes, preach it. This is so true. Um, obviously, you know, from the start, this was kind of how God was beginning my story was um, in foster care in Bogota. I was randomly born in the orphanage that had guardianship of me, but they were very brand new and their nursery area wasn't ready to take babies. Oh, wow. So I was born and they were like, um, yeah, we need a plan and we don't have one. Um, and my foster mom stepped up. She had three bio kids. I was her first foster baby and, um, we're actually still like incredibly close. Um, on my birthday, she'll, she will call me from South America. I have gone down and visited and my very first mission trip was to work in the orphanage where I was born. And I stayed with my foster family while I was down there. That is such a beautiful story, Jackie. (laughs) I love that. Well, it was kind of incredible because it's like, um, it was the mess to the message kind of because Mm -hmm. where I started and then God brought me full circle and I was able to go back and love on those sweet babies and, you know, pray over them, which Mm -hmm. is um, with Ignite Hope, the ministry that my husband and I run, that is um, really our key distinctive because we believe that when you walk into orphan care, you are walking onto a spiritual battlefield, no matter what your belief system is. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you do that, um, those of us that are within the body of Christ, um, we have a call to support you because not everyone is called to foster and adopt, right. but we're all called to do something. Right. Absolutely. I think that that is exactly where my heart is right now. And I think, you know, 
whatever, there are so many different ways that we can be involved in helping with this problem. Isn't, you know, you may feel like, well, there are maybe 400 thousand kids who need fostering, but I can't do that, or I don't want to do that. You know, it's it's okay to not want to do that. But I think that it's not okay to say, I'm just going to ignore that problem. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of us end up because you hear the statistics and they're overwhelming. Yeah. And if you take that from a national level to a global level, it's 350 million kids worldwide wow. that the World Health Organization um, says are considered vulnerable, uh-huh. um, which means either single orphaned, um, where they lost one parent, and it could be um, as the biblical orphan, like war and pestilence and disease. Uh-huh. Um, but more likely in this day and age, it's addiction and negligence mm-hmm. and choice. Yeah. Um, and then if they're double orphan, that means that they've lost both um, parents standing in the gap for them. So you look at that, and that's <laughs> essentially the population of America. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, like, that's exactly what I was thinking when it, you were saying yeah, that. It's like Lord of the Flies. Just put all these kids here yeah. on this continent, and that is what our global situation is. But the one thing we always say in Ignite Hope is this is one area where um, there is a solution to a global epidemic if we're willing to be the solution. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, you can't always say that. We don't have that yet with a lot of the cancers people face or AIDS, but this is an epidemic that we can actually we can make do something about an impact. It. Yeah. Yes. So take me back. Um, so you were born in the orphanage. How long were you with your foster mother? This is crazy. This was before the Hague Convention. So if you, any of you listeners know what that is, basically that was kind of a bureaucratic um, safeguard that came into place later. I was um, adopted in the 70s. So when um, I was adopted, you could actually do international fairly quickly. So my parents found out about me when I was two weeks old. And they traveled down to get me when I was seven weeks. And I was on American soil by 10 weeks. Wow. Um, now, if you decide to adopt from specifically Columbia, where um, where I was, one parent is expected to stay usually about six weeks in country mm-hmm. to complete the adoption. So, um, you know, it was a different time. Yeah. Um, but you got your children home, you know, a lot more quickly. But of course, um, the safeguards were put in place because they do want to protect vulnerable children. Right. Um, and their parents. And their parents, yeah. you know. So, th- you know, there there are always with any kind of, you know, policy, um, law, there's always going to be the good and the bad with it. For me, this was a blessing because I got home a lot sooner. Um, and I think it was just honestly God just connecting us to the foster family that here I am 40 years later and we're still very connected. I love that. I love that story. And you, and so fast forward, you became a, became a, an adoptive mom. Yes. And this is a random little um, tidbit that no one knows and maybe no one cares about, but I think it's cool. Um, When I uh, became a mom for the first time, I was 29 going through the process and 30 when I was placed with um, my sweet angel girl, who is now um, a tween. I cannot believe it. I can't either. Oh, no. I mean, I've been mommying (laughs) for a dozen years now. Um, But I was the exact same age my mama was when she got me. Oh, wow. And she went, um, told me and looked at me as the most precious thing, um, she said she had asked God for many years why my, you know, my dad and her had gone through so much infertility and loss. Um, 
and she couldn't reconcile it. You know, it's a good God and they're a good family. They've been praying and praying. And it was just many, many years before she became a mama. And um, once I began going through the loss and the infertility, she looked at me and she said, now it makes sense because I can be here for you. Oh, that's, mm. That just makes my heart. Just full and also makes me want to cry. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's Romans 8, 28, you know, it's everything is for our good and for his glory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you went through infertility. You wanted to be a mother. You decided to adopt. Um, Ish. (laughs) Kind of ish. (laughs) And there's nothing ever like straightforward with my life. Um, I, um, didn't so much go into infertility as I just, you know, I'm an overachiever. So I just jumped straight into loss. Uh-huh. Um, so there were four miscarriages before, um, our, you know, my oldest daughter came wow. here into the world. Wow. And, um, after the last one, I had um, a sweet friend and neighbor who had actually been a social worker and worked um, in foster care. And she told me about um, a little girl who was going to be born in about six weeks. And the mom was Swedish and super tall. And she was at Clemson University at that time. And all of a sudden, I just pictured myself with this super tall blonde daughter and I am I've just realized y'all can't see me I am a five foot tall you know Colombian girl um and I tease my hair to get the five one which you can do in the south but um yeah I was just like all on board like yes that's my kid I'm ready let's do this um and her birth mother or her you know her mother chose to parent and that was the right story for them. But it's what God used to say, yeah, you remember how you started? Let's yeah. let's go back and, you know, do this again. So. so that was a child that you had prepared your heart for and then it didn't happen. Yeah. And that it, must have been really hard. It was, um, but it was very early in the process. Of okay, this good. totally random friends reference. I love <laughs> friends. Um, <laughs> did you ever see the one where um, Monica and Chandler adopt? Oh, I'm not so sure I've seen that. I've no. got to go back and look. Oh, it's so good. It's like season nine and ten. It's a, you know, <laughs> they possibly adopted a, like, a human baby. Yeah, like well, yeah, not just one, but yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Oh, okay. it's so good. Check I don't, it out. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert. I mean, yes, this happened. You know. A decade ago, but whatever, it's worth going back and Netflixing. <laughs> um, when I was um, going through this process, Monica Geller was going through the process too. And I remember one of the scenes, um, someone said, Oh, that's such a cute baby. Get this baby. <gasps> and she's like, I can't. And Phoebe was like, Well, you know, why can't you get this baby? She's like, I don't know how this works. <laughs> and I'm like, Even being an adoptee and an adoptive sister, I mean, I remember going through my younger sister's adoption. Um, I I had no idea how it worked. So yeah. I thought baby in Clemson, I call dibs. Like yeah, that's yeah. legal, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't. And yeah. um, so I really think that that piece of news was just what God used to open my heart. And it was interesting because I didn't grieve it. Um, it was kind of, it kind of brought joy because I knew I knew what I was supposed to go through because I didn't ever go through the traditional infertility and medical stuff because it wasn't a problem getting pregnant it was a uh-huh. problem staying pregnant right mm-hmm. right right so you knew that you were adopted always always and bef- you had not considered um adoption before um I actually had and I always knew I would but mm. When you're laying in a doctor's office and they're like, there's a heartbeat, but it's really faint, you just kind of sit there in the loss and the hard and Mm -hmm. trying to hold on to what's slipping through your fingers. So because this 
biologically and physically would happen, I kept thinking, well, this biologically and physically will happen. Mm -hmm. And it would only get so far. And then, you know, I got a bunch of littles in heaven that I can hug one day. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I think God's timing is perfect and I don't have to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) So true. And very rarely is it my timing. Yeah. Oh, amen. (laughs) And I think, you know, so your, so your oldest daughter was meant to be yours. And she's yours. And she is she is mine. She and is she looks precious. just like you, which is hysterical. Yes. What the funny thing <laughs> is, she actually looks more like my sister. Oh, who she is adopted also. So I mean, biologically, you have me, Tia, my sister. That's what um, our our kiddos call her, and um, my oldest daughter. And we all kind of favor each other. Yes. But. Those two, I mean, exactly alike. I once saw a picture in my sister's bedroom of my dad with, thank you, some kind of leisure suit and chops <laughs> and big glasses. <laughs> so old 70. Yeah. It was actually about 79 um, <laughs> because there was a baby standing in front of him, you know, probably at one year old. And I'm like, when did my dad dress up like a 70s lounge singer and hold my girl? Like, yeah. that does not make sense. Oh, wow. And it was my sister. Wow. And I could couldn't tell. That's so amazing. Is your, so is your oldest daughter an, a domestic adoption? or Yes, actually. Okay, I thought um, so. Yeah, my sister and I are both international adoptions, and my oldest two kids are both domestic. Um, and there's a specific reason for that. Um, originally, I thought for sure I'm going back to Colombia. Like, that just makes sense. You know, mi tierra and all that good stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm kind of hola, y'all, by the way. So, um, <laughs> Anyways, as I was, um, you know, puzzling that out and praying it through, um, had a super wise um, social worker that I was talking to. And she said that if you do domestic adoption, you have a higher likelihood of being able to meet the birth family. Oh. And I didn't know that. Oh. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'll never be able to tell my birth family what their choice for life and for allowing me to have this opportunity here in America with my family has meant to me, but I can tell their family. Oh, I love that. That's so sweet. And so do you maintain a relationship with their birth parents? Um, It's um, openness and adoption is kind of a spectrum and the way that their birth families chose it to be because really it's, it's kind of driven by the birth family. Um, It's considered semi-open. So we can get letters um, through the agency or attorney and we can send updates, but it isn't um, like a meet in person, go Uh on vacation, co-parenting kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you don't every year send them an update or receive an update. It's just when they want to do that. Um, I actually do it every year. Yeah. And, and the reason being, um, you know, I met, these sweet mamas and I hugged them and cried with them and prayed with them. And there was no one else in the world that would care that, you know, buddy had, you know, four poopies and six peepee diapers <laughs> except her, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I always wanted them to just feel a peace about their decision uh-huh. and to know that, you know, their kid, cause I mean, this is their child yeah. just as much as it's my child. Um, you know, that they were thriving and they were loved and this is good. And, and I really believe at some point, I mean, now, you know, with technology, we're all just six degrees away from everything. Um, I believe my kids will probably meet their birth family at some point. Um, but right now they're little and they're processing and they're, you know, Uh you know, they're walking their own journey. And so when they're ready for that, um, 
you know, then we'll walk into those, you yeah. know, that little area. And with the ancestry DNA stuff, I mean, you can find relatives oh, you didn't y'all even done know. That? I haven't have done it yet. I have. You, ooh, what I have. You I'm like 24% Nigerian. Really? <laughs> so. I'm like a queen. <laughs> yeah, I'm queen. I mean, I've been wrapping my hair for a while, but that just like said, okay, that's why. Yeah, that's why I like totally colors. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a... Um, you know, I am an African-American, and so I don't – I know that my ancestors came from the continent of Africa, but wasn't sure where. Oh, wow. um, so it was very fascinating to see what makes up me. That's so cool. Okay, can I just, you know, tell you all a secret? Just, sure. You know, y'all too and everyone listening. <laughs> we um, don't tell anybody. At all. Um, I have really wanted to do that 23andMe or the ancestry yeah, yeah. for myself uh-huh. um, because – you know, we, I just shared that my kids' adoptions are semi-open, open. Mine is completely closed. Uh-huh. You know, I was the first child brought into that orphanage. It was a long time ago. And um, when I went back, they let me see my file. Every kid's file there is like three to six inches. You know, it's a three-inch folder, but it's six inches big. Like mm-hmm. everything yeah, you can yeah. find. Mine was three pages. Wow. And it was only com- almost completely redacted. Like somebody Sharpie markered through my life. Wow. And so someone somewhere knew something yeah. mm-hmm. at some point. Um, but all the paperwork my parents have is the same way. And there's um, a closed file in the state of California somewhere, and that's all redacted as well. So um, I part of me really wants to kind of know. Um, but then another part I found out recently that you can connect to other people. Absolutely. And so I'm like, is that opening a can of worms? Yeah. Is that opening a blessing? Yeah. I'm not totally sure. Um, <laughs> but that's not all the secret. This That was all a big lead up Uh-oh. to the secret. Um, I told my husband the other day that I'm kind of praying that I might be a little bit Jewish. Oh. <laughs> um, because I just love the idea. It's God's chosen people and just the history and lineage. And y'all, he looked right at me and said, Honey, how many times do you have to be chosen? And I'm like, You know, one more would be good. Often as he will choose me. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, I don't have any idea. I mean, people sure. look at me and they're like, Hawaiian, Asian, you know, they're not really sure. Um, when I flew into Bogota and got off the plane, um, I looked like, like everyone there. Yeah. It was I I've never looked like everybody. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, um, which was so cool, but then also a little startling because they, you know, bust out in rapid Spanish. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and assume I, you can keep up. Oh sure. Yeah. I'm like, disposio. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. That's great. Well, uh, one of the people that I know that has done 23andMe found out that she had a half sister that was adopted that her mother had before meeting her father and having her and um her mother's in her 70s oh wow and you know had a very hard time admitting that wow. she had had a baby before but now she has this awesome relationship with a half sister that she would not have known otherwise oh, wow that's that. amazing i love that so i pray I'll pray for you. Thank uh, you. And, and for the Jewish find, thing. Okay. <laughs> as long as you're praying, you know, get it all in there. Siblings and Jewish. Yeah. Gotcha. Yay. <laughs> 
that's awesome. I think, you know, that it's so interesting to hear you talk about that. Cause one of the things, you know, is I, we haven't done a show on fertility, but we're going to, and, um, fertility issues, mm-hmm. um, because we struggled with infertility and had to have some help to have my son. I think I've mentioned that on the show before, but, um, what we've talked about adoption and thought about adoption for years, you know, before my son was born, we were definitely, it was in the plan of thinking, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. And it wasn't a plan B. It was just an additional option. Yeah. Um, so we didn't go there, but, but the, you know, life's not over yet. You never know. And I think, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me to think about, um, I all, I have often thought about what would it be like to be adopted? What would it, is it a good thing for the child? Is it not a good thing for the child? Is it fair? Is it not fair? I definitely feel like, Every child deserves a loving home. Absolutely. Right. And I feel like that's God's heart. Yeah. I really do. But, you know, you're talking about is it good or bad? Is it fair or not fair? Um, I think you can apply that to biological kids, too. Oh, sure. Or stepchildren or, you know. Yes. um, Bonus children. Yeah. (laughs) I I have three bonus children. I love that. Okay. Bonus. I love that because I do heart babies and belly babies. And so (laughs) bonus babies. I'm so claiming that. Um, But I think. None of it's really fair because we live in a broken world. Right, so yeah, right. all of us are going to walk through some stuff and it's going to be hard and it's going to be messy. Yeah. And some of it's going to be amazing and wonderful. And some of it is going to be a big hot mess. Yeah. So yeah, I, I follow some, some accounts on Instagram that I just love that are all about adoption and fostering. And one of the things that someone I follow and I wish I could give credit, but I can't remember who it is, always says is that, um, that adoption always starts with brokenness. Um, it always starts with pain. And even if you adopt a child in their infancy, in their first days, absolutely. it's still a broken situation. It's still, and you can provide for that child all of the love in the world, and it's still started with a broken heart. Yeah. So, um, but I definitely believe that you know, just what you said that we're all broken and every family's broken and every heart is broken a bit. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, I mean, that's why we need Jesus. Exactly. Honestly. So, I mean, I really believe that kids who have been adopted, and I think you had alluded to this earlier, that if they're adoptable, then um, there's been a termination of parental rights Mm -hmm. or, you know, at some level, a death. Right. There has been some kind of a death. And I mean, that's what the enemy does. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. Right. Um, one of our premises with Ignite Hope that we just firmly believe is that there's a kingdom calling on these kids' lives. Because why would the enemy attack from the womb? Mm. He was a baby. You know, why? But he, you know, he was attacking, you know, Mary and Joseph. And Joseph was the adoptive dad. You know, so this is, it is con- a continuation of God's story. Mm-hmm. Um Satan attacks his kids, and these are his kids. So tell us. So you just mentioned Ignite Hope. Yes, I did. Yes, so Ignite Hope. Ignite Hope. Oh my absolute word, Ignite Hope. Um, so talk about a brokenness. Um, we, my husband and I, Jeff, um, when it was, I guess it was 2014, and um, we had three at that point. My youngest daughter was like a nursing infant and God, and that's a biological child. So oh, after yeah. adopting twice, you had two biological children. <laughs> yeah, side note, <laughs> surprise, um, had two biological children, which, you know, that was all God. Somebody asked us wh- who, what doctor did you use? Oh yeah. So they could tell a friend walking oh, yeah. through the, um, the loss and infertility. And, um, Jeff was like, y- y'all, it was just God. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> just showed up. Um, Some really healthy, eager sperm. 
Yeah, yes, really, really, <laughs> just overachieving <laughs> for absolute sure. Um, God put it on both of our hearts that we needed to apply for a mission trip. And so I, um, because I'm awesome, told God, okay, I will go like do soccer camps or I will help build a building. I've never built anything. Like if I put a picture up, I use a nail and a stiletto. I don't even have an actual hammer. And um, so I was like, okay, I'll go do all these things, but I'm not going to do anything with at-risk kids or orphanages. You you told God this. I I love how we tell God how he is going to do work through us. Right. That is Oh, yeah, I'll follow Hilarious. your instructions, except I'm Here not going to do this. the caveats, <laughs> yes. And so I sat there. Um, and he and, laughs. And I just Indeed. thought, okay, this just has to be an obedience thing. Like, I've got a nursing infant, and I've got a toddler. I'm homeschooling the oldest. I mean, Jeff worked like 70, 80 hours a week, so I'm thinking – God just wants us to be obedient and fill out the paperwork. And then I felt completely justified and honestly a little ticked because we weren't chosen to go on any of these trips. And I'm like, well, I did my part. So, you know, see, good job for me. Check. (laughs) Check. Um, And in March, and I will share the whole story quickly um, because it was just so crazy impactful. Um, My husband um, had a client who was – the head pastor at a large church in our area. And they were hosting Stephen Curtis Chapman, who has a ministry focused on China with Show Hope. And so orphanages, orphans, all of that stuff. And he's like, you know what? We've got tickets. You all want them? They're yours. And I was able to get last second childcare. And so Jeff was coming from one part of Atlanta. I was driving from another and I got a phone call and I answered it because, hello, it was before the hands-free situation. (laughs) And it was a girl who organized the um, trips to East Asia. And she said, um, you know, we are going um, to open up two spots on this team. We've already chosen the team. We've already organized it. People on this team, y'all are like, OTs and pediatric neurologist and, you know, it was a medical therapy. condition. Yeah. Okay. Um, they, oh, op- it's an OT. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Occupational, Occupational therapist. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then there's the two of us. I'm like homeschooling mom and, you know, former <laughs> military guy and, you know, what can we offer? And they literally had read our bios in the, um, application we had done for the mission trip and every trip sent our, application over to East Asia, like this couple needs to be on your trip. But we provide, you know, pretty much zero knowledge in the medical field. Um, They just let us come to be mommy and daddy arms. Wow. And so we fundraised in about six weeks. And I think the total was like $7,000. We got divided and conquered between, you know, my parents and Jeff's mom and um, Bella's dad. And we just handled it. And flew out there and about two days in country, um, God wrecked us Yeah. because now you've seen what most of the world will never, ever see because yeah. we were in a communist country. We had to turn our passports in when we'd walk on property. They kept them the whole time. Wow. Um, but we were ministering to these hearts and talk about broken little hearts. I mean, it was not just um, Down syndrome or um cerebral palsy or things that we would probably see and identify here. I mean, there were syndromes I had never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't have the intervention that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so was this a, an orphanage for medically fragile children specifically? Um, no, not specifically, wow. but a lot of the children in these orphanages have special needs. Right. 
Um, Which is why they're there. Yes, because okay. it um, very often different cultures value um, just humans, humanity, based on different, you know, it's not based on a kingdom thought process. Sure. It's based on their culture, their belief system, you know, how you can contribute to society. And if you are broken, yeah, how are you going to contribute? So, um, but these kids, y'all, God used them, wrecked us completely. Um, flew back to the States and 16 weeks later, Jeff came to me, um, which by the way, four months pregnant with the fourth kid, um, and said, I need to take a leave of absence from Lexus and we're supposed to start an orphan care ministry real quick. And <laughs> cause you've got lots quick. of time. Yeah. You know, Three kids, this is, this is an awesome time to do it. And I'm a stay at home mom. So, you right. know, my income is, you know, nothing. They just don't pay stay-at-home moms like they used to. <laughs> I so. saw something, by the way, the other day that said that if you had if you had to pay a stay-at-home mom, it would be the salary would be one hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, just so um, you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. I, I didn't know the number, but I knew yeah. it was in that six yeah. figures. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody had lost that paycheck. Yeah. And um, we just, um, I, it's not even step out in faith. Like it's like we took our kids' hands and ran straight off the edge of a cliff, and he held us. And I feel like God has protected the obedience, if not so much the ministerial prowess, because the learning curve has been steep. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is actually, um, this week is the anniversary of our fourth year of doing this. Oh, wow. So tell us what you do. Like, tell us about the... What we do do. Yes, what you do do. Um, Well, um, the way we describe Ignite Hope is that we are Ignite Hope. We advocate, resource, and encourage um, fostering and adoptive families, um, the child who is in the middle of this, and organizations that support them. So um, the advocacy piece is um, honestly my heart. Oh, y'all can't see me again. Have the best T-shirt on ever (laughs) from my sister. And it says advocate like a mother. Which um, when you are a foster and adoptive mom or a special needs mom, which strangely usually associate in that space, um, you really do have to be your kid's advocate. Um, But God has put it on my heart that I have to be mama bear for all these littles that don't have a mama bear standing in the gap. So, um, one so of you're little, but you're fierce. Oh, oh yeah. she is. <laughs> I, I really am. I really am. I, I, pack, I pack a mighty punch. But um, one of the greatest things that I've gotten to do as part of Ignite Hope is um, we um, received a grant on um, advocacy and public positioning for ministries. Um, because a lot of times, unless you have learned it, you don't really know the RIFRA laws and all those different laws on religious freedom and speech and Uh what you can and can't say and where you can and can't say it. So we had gotten this grant um, through CPJ, which is the Center for Public Justice up in D.C. And so they were teaching us how to advocate appropriately and honor your belief system, but, you know, honor all of God's kids, you yeah. know, even if they believe differently than you. Of and, course. Um, you know, because otherwise, how do you have a kingdom impact? Yeah. You know, you can't just tell them what you're against. Right. Oh, of You course. know, you have to say yeah. what you're for. And as part of that, I um, was able to connect with the National Adoption Council and went up to D.C. in June as part of the Georgia delegation and was able to advocate on Capitol Hill on adoption day and wow. speak to lawmakers. And we actually got um, entree into the state department, which was huge um, because there are, and I don't know if you're familiar with the international sending laws. No. Um, there's a new oversight committee, um, the AAMI, and um, some people are very excited about it. And um, 
a lot of families that I've spoken to and agencies are very concerned because um, there's just a lot more restriction. There was um, an increase in what is already an incredibly expensive venture of uh-huh. international adoption. Um, so being able to walk in and share and, you know, and I was able to share not only as CEO of Ignite Hope, but also as an adoptive mama yeah. and as an international adoptee. Right. So that right. was pretty cool. Wow. Why did they increase the um, restrictions for international adoption? Um, what well, was the restrictions? And they also increased the um, the cost. And it's it's as The Hague was where they're trying to put additional oversight. But right now, um, UNICEF is pushing a culture first agenda um, where they say the best thing for a child is to stay in their home country. And, you know, if you bring it back to, you know, the basic, the best thing for a child is to have their biological two parent home where they can function and thrive and become what God's called them to be. Um, Very few kids have that. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have your biological family or, you know, that family um, might go through some brokenness or loss. But if you're talking about kids who've been either completely TPR'd or have no parents standing What's in the TPR? gap, um, termination of parental rights. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes I That's sometimes okay. I get in I'll that ask. little like you know <laughs> throwing out letters and numbers and I get weird. But um, if you're talking about a kid in an institution in another country and they're claiming culture, they're not growing up in culture. They're right. growing up inside four walls and yeah. they might venture out occasionally. But there are some countries. Where even domestic adoption, their domestic adoption is not allowable, oh. and they don't allow international adoption. And there are some places, um, one country in particular, that if you are not finalized, not identified, but finalized before you turn 14, you will never, ever be adopted. Wow. Because you're, they're done with you at 14. Yeah. That's terrible. And... That means growing up in orphanhood and that you mentioned James 127 and y'all, I am calling out the church right now. James 127 is a biblical promise. It is a covenant promise, I believe, because if you are looking at the structure of language and, you know, God is nothing but intentional. It says care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. Mm -hmm. Y'all, that implies a season. Orphanhood is not a life sentence unless the church allows it to become a life sentence. Right. Right. So you do advocacy. Yes. And what else do you guys do? Um, We also um, do resource development. So um, we actually have a book that's on Amazon. It's on our website. um, Can I say it? Yeah, yeah, of course. um, I say www.ignitehope.online. Everyone tells me you don't need to do the W, but (laughs) I like it. Um, You can find it there. And it is kind of my personal journey as an adoptee and as an adoptive mom. Um, and it's a um, strategic prayer guide uh-huh. on what did you walking say through your is? adoption. Um, it's called God's Got This. I don't think I said the title. No, that's okay. Yeah, God's Got This, a strategic prayer guide for your adoption journey. Okay. And um, it shares a little bit of my story. Um, at In each chapter, Jeff wrote a daddy's take. So, oh. you know, a dude might not sit there and read a whole, like, devotional on let's be a mommy, you know, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but they might read a paragraph from another guy saying, this is what we went through. This is what worked. Uh-huh. Um, and then we give scripture. We write out a prayer. So if you're kind of new to praying, um, you don't have to try to figure out how to sound holy. You know, you can just, it's just a conversation and, yeah. you know, you just share it with your heavenly daddy. Um, but my favorite part is that there's action points so that you can create your community um, and ask them specific ways to pray, um, understanding your needs as you're walking through it, your self-care and health. 
So um, it's kind of what we needed when we were going through um, our son's adoption, um, who was our second adoption, um, because I had adopted Isabella um, previously with my ex. And um, what I recognize now, and I think this is just a Holy Spirit thing, um, all families are under spiritual attack when you walk into this space. I really believe um, that her dad and I walked into a spiritual battle um, and we didn't we didn't survive it. We didn't make it through. Yeah. Um, You were not prepared. No, I I had no idea. I just, I was unicorns and rainbows. I was like, (laughs) life will be good when I've got a baby in my arms. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was, she had such a calling on her life. And so it's not like the enemy would just stop like, oh, dang, she's in a family that loves her and I'm just going to give up and Mm -hmm. go attack someone else. No, I mean, it ramped up. So all the spiritual warfare I faced with the first adoption came after. Uh, whereas the second adoption, everything hit from the word go. Uh huh. So I remember very well that second adoption, and it was, it was wild. It, it was, was a roller coaster. It was, and I think you know. So for people who are thinking about fostering or adopting, or you know, who want to be part of the solution, maybe they're feeling a little tug in their heart right now. They're hearing this and they're thinking, maybe that is something that I could do. What would you say to that person who's not made a decision, who's mm-hmm. not they're they don't know anything yet, but they're just feeling a little stirring. What would you say to that person? Um, I would say, um, and honestly, I believe this, regardless of your belief system, that if you're feeling that tug, it isn't if, it's when. Um, because like I found out with the mission trip, God doesn't just call us to check out our obedience. He's calling us because there is a calling. Yeah. Work um, to be done. Yeah. And there's a need. Right. So if you are feeling that, um, it's basically you say yes, and the child that you're meant to impact will at some point come to you. And if you say no, that kid's growing up without you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are, are you willing to share maybe something that um, was pretty difficult that you walked through with your second adoption and yeah. how you kind of got through it? Oh, Lordy. There's so, so many things to <laughs> choose from. Okay, yes. Just this, for someone yeah. who's thinking about probably adopting, but maybe a bit afraid of the difficulty. Right. Uh, and uh, here's my caveat to that. Listen to this whole little story. <laughs> if you only listen to this part and you turn it off because it's totally frightening because it was a hot mess, um, then you won't hear the hope at the end. Okay. Um, going through Buddy's adoption, we um, started, okay, went to the adoption agency um, 13 weeks after we got married because, hello, you know, Bella's growing up and we ain't getting any younger. And they have never had people show up that quick because it's usually after 10 years of infertility and then people come to adoption. And we weren't any spring chickens. So we show up and they're like, obviously they have marriage dyslexia and (laughs) this number is supposed to be 2001 and not 2010. So they didn't realize that and they fast-tracked us um, until they did the parent interviews and during the parent interviews they realized we were newlyweds and they did not know what to do with us Uh because there was no stated policy because there didn't need to be right you know people come after this big whole journey um so we were put on hold for a year um which broke my heart because i was absolutely convinced and convicted that our child was here in the world somewhere And I was ticked. I was like, okay, this is a difference of getting this baby home when they're brand new or getting this baby home when they've been in foster care for two years. So, you know, y'all need to help me. And they said, we will help you after a year. 
like, dang it. Um, <laughs> so anyways, we finally were able to get reinstated and do all of the paperwork and the medicals. And we did the home visit. And three weeks after our home visit, we found out about a little girl in another state. And we were told she's a 12-week-old little girl. And then got another phone call. I'm sorry, she's an eight-week-old little girl. And three days later, we had another phone call. It's a two-week-old little boy. Oh, wow. And um, this was coming not through our agency. This was coming through just a open, Holy Spirit-led heart who had connected with the birth mama. And he was a 50-year-old guy, no children. And so he'd look at this bundle wrapped up in white and couldn't determine boy or girl. Oh. And so he's like, well, white's probably more like a girl. And when we found out how he determined a 12-week-old girl, he said about the size of a loaf of bread. Oh. I'm like, are we talking sourdough? Are we talking like French? Like, what is this? Um, and so, form, what is it? you know, when they told us it's a girl, we're like, awesome, we've got everything. And then they call back days later, it's a boy. I'm like, awesome, we don't have one. Um, so I thought, man, this is just clicking. This is just going to go so fast. And um, we flew out there with just our hearts on our sleeves, so excited. Um, by the time the he plane was in the landed, Midwest, yeah, right? he was in the Midwest. Um, our plane landed, and everything had gone to hell in a handbasket. Oh god! The entire thing had exploded. Um, paperwork wasn't um, signed yet by um, birth dad, and he decided that he wanted to parent. Oh. Um, and you know that that is his right sure. as the father. Um, but our hearts, you know, we had a hotel room for three days because I am apparently a huge optimist. I fly out Monday, go to court Tuesday, and fly home Wednesday. Three days worth of clothes. And um, we had requested that our hotel find a crib for us. So after this crazy journey and heartbreaking time at the attorney's office and sobbing more tears than I thought I could ever cry, which is really saying something because I can be dramatic. Um, <laughs> we get to the hotel. We open the door and, and there's, there's a crib. crib. Oh, Jackie. Oh, y'all, I can't even. Like, even now, he's been home for seven and a half years. And just that moment of seeing my dream denied again. Um, and I remember Jeff just took the um, this white crib, and it was on wheels. It was one of those sure. shiny utilitarian. Um, and he just yanked it straight out and threw it out <laughs> in the hallway and got the two of us inside. And I just laid on the bed in fetal position and cried. And, um, I, I just thought, God, if this is going to happen, it's going to have to be you. And it was three weeks, um, that I stayed there. Um, Jeff flew back with the oldest. She was going with her, um, dad and parents to Disney, which thank God she had a time to have fun and do her thing. Um, but I stayed there cause I knew if I left that state, um, I would lose the baby. Mm. And so I just battled on my knees because there was nothing else I could do. And um, I pretty much emailed everybody I could think of. I'm like, if you're kind of prayerful, if I heard you say, oh, my Lord, one time, I'm like, maybe you talk to Jesus. I need your help. Can you pray for me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like nobody was safe. Um, and um, we just were able to, you know, kind of create a prayer system um, because it really got to the point that I was spiritually bereft. Um, I would hold this child. I would pray over him. I would love so him. So you were seeing him 
Every day. Every day. In yeah. foster, in his foster situation. Yeah, yeah. He was, this is crazy. He was being fostered by this incredible family who in that state, um, clergy can be immediate foster care. And birth mom approved it. So they went from having three bio kids to having this little foster baby waking up all times in the middle of the night. And I could stay there, but not 24 hours. So they found another pastor in their um, church congregation that let me stay at their house. And I could see through the trees, like the light on their house. And so I didn't sleep. I just, you know, hyper vigilant because obviously bad things will happen <laughs> if I'm not on watch. Um, just stare out the back window until I could see sun peeking out. And then I would jog over there and be like, give me my baby. <laughs> and I would take care of him from six in the morning until midnight. But I had to leave at midnight because I jeopardized the adoption if I wasn't following what the sure. judge had ordered. Um but um, I held him and loved him and fed him and prayed over him, knowing that I might never bring him home. So the judge had ordered that you could have this visitation with him. Mm -hmm. They but were kind of figuring out what was going to happen with the bio father at that yes, point. Or? Um, and what it turned out, um, gosh, what it turned out to be was just God using this. Um, to do what he always does, you know, show up and show off. Um, it turned out that our attorney was an adoptive father. It turned out that the judge on the case was an adoptive father. And so they went um, and just shared their story with, with, the with this dad? young man. Wow. And he decided then that he wanted to choose us. Was he very young? Um, I'm assuming so because I'm not. So, you know, everyone is younger. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, God just ministered to his heart uh -huh. mm -hmm. and um, protected our boy. The funny thing is I'm there in the state, but the attorney called my husband at Lexus in Georgia to say, the baby's yours. The judge has you on the books for next Tuesday. I have no idea. So I am holding this child in my arms saying goodbye because I've got a plane ticket to get on the plane the next day. It's like a week before Christmas and I'm saying I'm saying goodbye to him. And um, I went up to his foster mom, Jenny, who I really I've actually this is another thing I've asked God. But besides the Jewish thing, I want her mansion in heaven to be next to mine. <laughs> she's amazing. And I will introduce you all. She's just so cool. Um, and I was praying. I was like, God, where is this child going to be? Because one of the things that um, the birth family was concerned about is that we were out of state. And I was like, well, if they want in state, I've got this incredibly godly, prayerful, amazing family right here. And so I remember he was asleep in my arms and I walked up to Jenny and I said, Jenny, I have to ask you the biggest request in the world. I said, if I cannot bring this baby home, will you adopt him? Whoa. And will you raise him up to know the Lord and just let him know how much we love him and that we're always here for him. And when he's 18, if he wants to come home, he always has a hope with us. Oh, goodness. Jackie. And it was at that moment that I realized what all of our birth mothers had gone through. Because the most precious thing in the world, and I had to trust somebody else to do everything that I couldn't. Sorry, we're all crying. Man, I gotta now. pass the tissue. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry. I really didn't think I'd do this. I should have known better. Um, so fast forward to the good part because yeah, we're all heartbroken uh, here. Everybody's but, crying. Is okay, listening. <laughs> I have to say, y'all. She looked at me and she said yes. Of course. And 
26 seconds later, my phone rings and it's Jeff. And he's like, baby, sit down, which thank God he said that because I'm still <laughs> holding the child. And I said, yes. And um, he said, um, birth dad signed. The judge approved it. He's our son. Yay! And I hit my knees with the baby in my arms, just weeping. And my thank tears, you, thank you, my thank tears you, are falling on his little face. And it, he wakes up. And so it looks like he's crying. And he's just like, ha, da, 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 oh, you know, and goodness. just, and I was like, oh my goodness. But God absolutely brought me to the end of myself yeah. where I had to be like, I'm going to release this dream, release this child that I have begged for, for a decade, um, to you. And, and that's, it kind of hit me at that point. I'm like, you know, now I have these two kids and I realized they're not really mine. They're not really their birth families. Like they're gods. Right. I, I'm just stewarding. Right. I think that's such a beautiful way to think about mothering, no matter how your children come to you, right? Yeah. Because it doesn't, there's no promises. Mm -mm. There's nothing guaranteed when we have our children, whether we birth them or somebody else gives birth to them, yeah. there's nothing ever guaranteed. And our job is just to love them the best that we can, give them the best of ourselves, give them Jesus and give them as much as we can to prepare them for a world that isn't easy. Yeah. And to glorify the Lord. I love that. Yeah, I, I think uh, I have two biological children, mm -hmm. and my oldest, Joshua, I think he was maybe about seven when it occurred to me that he was not mine and that I was basically to hold him with an open hand yeah. Yeah, um, and just, you know, I am there to protect him and to guide him and to love him and to show him God's way, but... Ultimately, he is a being unto himself and he belongs to God. Yeah, that's right. So, and that would be whether I gave birth to him yeah. or I adopted him. So. Yeah. Oh my God, I got mad. Uh, so and the good eyeliner. Man. Amen. It's okay. <laughs> so sorry. Well, yeah, I, that would loved, be I think that that is a beautiful place to start to wrap up a little bit um, because I think you've certainly, if, if you're not crying or if you're not teared <laughs> up and you listen to that story, there's something wrong with you. You need to check your pulse. <laughs> But how can people get involved? If they want to get involved, what can people do? How can people get involved? I actually brought a little cheat sheet here because, um, you know, I shared before, not everyone's called to foster and adopt, but we can all do something. And um, with Ignite Hope, we have different programs that we offer if you want to get plugged in. And we kind of have like tier one volunteering, um, tier two, we're a little more invested in tier three where it's like the mafia and we're just not going to let you go. <laughs> um, so, you know, feel free to start at the lower level levels before we scare you, but, um, we do are actually this year, we're going to be doing a, um, fellowship time, um, like a day of fun for foster and adoptive families in the Atlanta area. So we're going to need volunteers for that. We have a covered in, um, love program where we are just starting to get people who have, um, either have brand new blankets to donate, or if you are super, you know, amazing and crafty and you can make blankets, <laughs> um, and we'll put little tags on them. It says prayed for, um, prayed over in love by Ignite Hope to give to kids who are brought into care because, when you're brought into care, you don't get this nice, tidy time to pack all your things up and choose what you want to bring. It's usually a crisis situation and you are just brought with the clothes on your back. Um, so just having a little bonky or a little blankie that they can cuddle up with um, and that will literally be prayed over because yeah. I shared that um, prayer is our key distinctive. Not so much that that's 
all we do. It's definitely a part of what we do, but every program we have is infused with that. Um, And then we have a um, Christmas project, which is awesome. So definitely looking for host churches and schools that would allow us um, to come in and you know, bring in a part of Ignite Hope. We have 17 international partners. So these are people who are, you know, organizing orphanages and ministries. We have Uganda, Kenya, um, China, Colombia, Myanmar. I had to look up Myanmar in Sierra Leone. Indonesia? Um, I forgot. Okay. So this is why I had a ministry (laughs) and not a geography (laughs) institution because uh, uh, I can't remember, but, um, God has brought these 17 beautiful international partners to us. Um, they've just like, you go on the internet and you put prayer and orphan care and we're kind of your only option. So, um, we don't have to over explain spiritual warfare to them. You know, one of our Uganda, um, organizations, when they have a witch doctor actively circling the campus because Christ is being spoken to these kids and cursing them. I don't have to say, you know, we have a real enemy. They're like, no, he is outside right now and we need you on your knees. So um, we have adopted um, for the last two years, different um, orphanages and partnered um, this year with Arrows Academy where all of their kids and it's um, a full school, you know, K up to high school, um, they brought in gifts and prayed over the gifts and wrote specific cards to specific kids. So it's not you're sending a gift and you don't know what happens. Like this kid, Marie, in Uganda is praying for these things, and she's eight years old just like me. And so they put together specific gifts for specific children, and we were able to send 80 kids in Uganda and provide Christmas for them and send um, Bibles to the staff, which was incredible. I'm actually going to speak to the school on Tuesday coming up, and they'll get to see the video of them packing everything and praying over it, and then seeing the kids who are just like them, you know, kids with hopes and dreams and broken and, you know, scabs and bruises and whatever, (laughs) um, you know, opening up the only gift that they got from Christmas. So that's just um, one of my favorite programs. I love that. Um, But the other and one that we really um, would love anyone listening to consider is um, our prayer teams. Our Hannah's Hope program is our signature wraparound service. And it is basically walking alongside families who are going into or transitioning around foster and adoptive relationships. So you may have had your kiddo home from China for two or three years, but now you're getting um, specifics on the undiagnosed special needs that wasn't recognized, or there is an attachment issue that needs to be prayed over because you've got hearts, little hearts who have been broken. But y'all, God is the great healer and he can handle this, Um, but he's also a gentleman and we have to invite him in. And I have been that mama that was bereft and had nothing left spiritually to give. And that's when I needed my people to surround me in prayer and truth because the enemy will just scream lies at you, that you are not good enough, you cannot handle it, that this child would be better somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gracious. That is one that the devil yells, yells at me. And finally, I've gone from, like, you know, being a victim of hearing that to being victorious and just saying, "Uh uh-uh, you have no authority. These are my babies, and I'm Mama Bear, and you need to take it. (laughs) Stop talking to me. (laughs) But, I mean, this has been a work in progress. Heard my thing. Don't you know who I am? Yes. Thank you. I'm a (laughs) daughter of a king. So, um, anyways, yeah, if you have a heart for Jesus, justice, and kids, and it does not matter if you have never prayed out loud before, it does not matter if you are a prayer 
prayer warrior and you routinely speak in tongues. Like it just does not matter. We want you and we need you because we have families coming to us weekly asking for this kind of support. Um, And the saddest thing for me was in 2017, we had to turn families away because I could not find people that would, Mm. and it's handled digitally. Like this is something you can do with your family, with your small group, with your Bible study, whatever. Um, And I mean, we've got prayer teams in Indiana covering families in Washington. I love it. So it's really accessible. You can do it with your kids. Um, Cost nothing. Cost nothing. And, And we train you. I love it. So, and, and we're here, you know, to support because you will hear hard stuff, yeah. you know, and we just say de-escalate, you know, when they say, you know, birth mom has decided to parent, you don't go to freak out mode because they're already there. Yeah. <laughs> you take a step back, you breathe, you pray, and you just speak truth that every day is one day closer. Right, right. So if people want to connect with you. Tell us again how they can do that. Yes. Okay. I'm doing the W's. I'm awesome. www.ignitehope.online. And it is .online. Somebody owns the .com and wants many, many, many dollars for it. And I'm like, no. So just .online. And um, you can see the programs there. And, you know, and, and of they course, can contact you. They can yes, email you. Yes. Okay, um, info at ignitehope.online will come right to us. Great. And, um, you know, being a ministry, we do need a monthly funding. So yeah. if that is an area that God has blessed you and you feel called to support our work, we would welcome that. Great. Great. Well, I love that. Jackie, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us and for really educating us about this issue and helping us understand and and to be able to share that with our audience. We really are happy to be able to be part of it. Oh, y'all, I'm so, I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity and just sit here and share and laugh, you know, and and cry because that's what I do. (laughs) That's what we do on the show. (laughs) Yeah. That's what we do in real life when we get together. It is. It is. is. Well, thank you again. And thanks to everybody for listening to this show. I hope that you have enjoyed it, that it's encouraged you and challenged you and that maybe you'll think about how you can be part of serving and helping the modern orphan. Yay. Yeah. Thank you. And we have one question question we end every show with oh, the same question we ask every guest and that we ask each other every week and that is um what is one thing you're going to do to be healthier today Ooh, one thing i'm going to do to be healthier today oh drink a ton of water because i am so not good at that like we've been here an hour and it's like halfway i'm not great <laughs> at it but i am working on my water intake because i have a bunch of kiddos and i need to be healthy there so. you go good what about you, Dee? I have an Ulta coupon that's about to expire, so I'm going oh. to the Ulta store after I leave here today. Oh, I wow. love Ulta. And that's why I put yes. makeup on, because oh. I feel, like, weird oh, when I go in there and, and I'm like, face, so. <laughs> you your hair done, and you yes. don't have your makeup on. You're like, awesome hair, and what's up with this area? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. I wish you guys could see Dee's face, because she's so gorgeous. Yes. She's gorgeous all the you time, but so especially sweet. when she's got Thank her makeup you. on. Yes. All right, so for me, I'm going to rest, because... Again, with the froggy voice. and uh, yes, I'm seeing the emoji. <laughs> I just need a little break. So I'm going to – so my husband has a cold too. I think that we're going to watch movies and like veg on the sofa. Do it. <laughs> it sounds really good. Yeah. Well, thanks again, girls. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, keep an eye out for um, for all the details on this show. Any links that you want, you can find them at the website at southernfriednutrition.com. Thank you. Thank Bye, you. y'all. Bye, y'all.